so, if uh, you've been around the last couple of weeks, well, last week Pete Hughes spoke and he um, went off piste. So we are back to Ephesians this week. Uh, and uh, I want to give you a bit of a recap on the sort of overview, the sort of uh, overarching thing that's going on, which is that as Eugene Peterson puts it, Paul is mending two broken bones. Uh, in the body. He's got a scalpel with this letter. This is a letter back to the church he planted and loves the community there, lived amongst them, suffered amongst them, saw God do amazing things. And about five years later, he's writing back to them. And he's got a scalpel in his hand and he's cutting in, he's making an incision and he's getting in there to mend two broken bones. The first broken bone he's getting in to mend is the broken bone of identity. And the second is of behavior. And the structure of the letter is literally organized around that. Great save, Pete. That is a great save. Let me just hold that in case that happens again. Um, for those who didn't see, the, the thing just collapsed with our stuff on it. And Pete, Stephen's in absolute, like, cat-like reactions. Unbelievable scenes. Um, where, where are we at? Broken bones, roughly there? Yeah, okay, broken bones. Broken iPads, broken bones. Um, so, mending broken bone of identity and then a behavior. Chapters 1 to 3, identity 3 to 6 sort of behavior. And that is deliberate. It's this flow in the kingdom of God where, where we flow out of our sense of identity. That's a deliberate thing. And, uh, and, uh, and so we are, I think, going on a journey here of trying to open ourselves up to receive that healing, that healing and that restoration, that mending of our sense of identity, who we are in Christ. That is something that is going on. And Jonah had this prophetic word that's over this series of, of, of this whole idea of counterfeits being replaced with the real deal. Holding on to like a counterfeit piece of gold or whatever. It doesn't feel quite right. It sort of looks similar, but it's not quite right. We don't want to build our lives on counterfeits, right? We want to build our lives on truth. And the truth shall set us free. And these are just some of the things across chapters 1 and 2 that we've been told. You are chosen. You are holy and blameless because of Christ. You are adopted into the family of God. You are in Christ, hidden in him, seen through him. You are, you are, we are unified under Christ as one radical community, one family in our differences. And you have incomparably great power in you. These are just some of the promises. These are some of the identity uh, features that we've been told about so far in this letter as we come to chapter 3 here. So why don't I read out chapter 3 as we, as we get going. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. 
Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was past, ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how, high, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And all God's people said? Amen. All right. So, when we look at this, I just want to draw out a few particular things. The swallows are back, guys. The swallows are back. Um, I hope that no one's got a phobia of birds indoors. Uh, but they're back. They're a sign of blessing, I think, over us. Um, here's the first thing I want to say. I wonder when you look at the beginning here in verse 1. But it says, for this reason, I, Paul... For the sake, uh, for the uh, sorry, I Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, for this reason I Paul, I just was grabbed by this, I Paul, for this reason I Paul, for the sake of you Gentiles, that statement I Paul is such a statement of identity, right there, Paul is the name he was Saul right. Paul is the name that's most associated with grace, with the work of God in his life, with the mission that he has to the Gentiles. I, Paul, and he stands there at the start of this paragraph just saying to me like that, that, that he knows who he is. I, Paul, I, Paul, I am this person. I, in that name is such a significance. He's been saved by grace, pulled from his past life into a new life and sent on this world, this amazing mission. I, Paul, this is who I am. I am Paul. And then he goes, for the sake of the Gentiles. Uh, and it's just this, ident this identity that he has just brings such clarity to his purpose. He knows that because of who he is and what God has done in his life, this is how he's going to live his life. And I wonder whether you've got an equivalent statement of this, where it's like, I Fill in the blank. For the sake of I, standing here today on the other side of grace and the work of God in my life, I'm living for. For the sake of fill in the blank. You may be in a time of discerning and not quite sure what that looks like. That's totally okay. But my question that I found myself asking was like, yeah, do I know who I am and I don't know why I'm living? Do I know what I'm living for and who I'm living towards and living on purpose for? 
is such a missional, purpose-driven statement. I, Paul, for the sake of the Gentiles. That's how he's living his life, as a sent one. And I wonder if you know who you are in Christ and know who you're living towards and why you're living and what sort of purpose that you're living with. That was just a really introductory thing, really, to be honest with you, from the first little bit there. And then he goes on to say this as we just work our way through this. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. God's grace that was given to me for you. This is a phrase that is repeated all the way through. Whenever there's repetition in the the, the Bible, it's not because they're terrible writers. You know, they're doing it deliberately. And he says this, if you, um, I don't know if we've got it for the screen. We might not have it. Sorry if you don't. But follow along in the Bibles on your seats. In verse 2, as I've just read, grace that was given to me for you. In verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel. Again, this abandonment, this purpose. I am now a servant of this good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, And then it goes on to say, by the gift of God's grace given me. And then further down in verse 8, this grace was given me. In other words, he keeps saying this over and over again. This grace was given to me. This grace was given to me. And you remember I'm saying this. He's trying to heal a broken bone of identity. The fact that the grace was given to him is so key. And he's repeating it over and over again. Grace given to me is so key to his identity. If we look back to the chapter before, uh, it says that we were once uh, dead in our transgressions and now alive in Christ. Uh, and, and I wonder if we sometimes uh, sold a, a, a counterfeit gospel, one that looks similar to that but is actually fundamentally different and we cannot build our lives on it. And that is that the gospel we so often uh, rehearse in our lives and hear about and live in light of is a gospel from bad to good or bad to better. We attribute our sin and we look at our brokenness and we think we're bad and we need to be better. Can you relate to that? That we so subtly slip into that counterfeit that I'm bad, I've done bad stuff. And here's the root of all that. Shame is the root of all that. You then just get to feel more and more shame. I'm bad. I've done bad things and I need to be better. I'm going to go on a journey with Jesus from bad to good. That is not the gospel that is here in Ephesians. It is you were dead in your transgressions. You are now alive in Christ. The gospel of Jesus is a movement from dead to alive, not bad to good. The problem is if we make it a bad to good or a bad to better story, then who becomes the main actor in that story on that journey of transformation? It becomes us. Got to get from, I've got to be better. I've got to be better. And Paul here is just underlining, he's just saying, by the grace given me, the grace given me. I, Paul, who was once like this, but I'm now like this because of grace given to me. C.S. Lewis said this for a reason. Jesus came not to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. I just want to invite you back in and away from a counterfeit this morning, away from a sense that like the gospel is bad to better. It is not. It is dead to alive. And the reason he says this over and over again is, I think, to underline this. For anything moving forward, just understand that anything I do is because of grace given me. Grace given me. It says, for I am the least of those, right, in there. For the grace given me, I do what I'm doing. And then he attaches to it this word, he says, administration of the grace given to me. I don't know if you saw that in verse 2 there. Administration of the grace given to me. And the word there is oikonomia. Oikonomia, that's the Greek word for the word um, 
administration. And it actually really is a lot more like the word steward would be a good word. It was used often to talk about people who oikonomied land, stewarded land, or they stewarded a household, which meant finances and people and all of that. They were managers, essentially, uh, but stewards of something. And so he says, I am an oikonomia of the grace given to me. So here's what I just want to say about this. There is a flow to the kingdom of God, and that is that grace has has flowed to you. And the moment you receive the grace of God as a gift in your life, you take up a position in the kingdom of God. You take on an authority in the kingdom of God. And that title, that post, that position is as an oikonomia. An oikonomia to steward it. You are being called to steward the grace that comes to you freely. Steward it, manage it, pass it on to others. There is a flow in the kingdom of God. There is a river that runs to you, and it should run also through you. And that is what uh, Paul is saying here. I have received, I, Paul, not so I, Paul, have received this grace, and it's for you. There is a flow. It comes into Paul and goes out of Paul. So I want to ask you this morning, uh, firstly, have you received that river of grace to you? Maybe ever in your life, and it might be a question of, hey, do you want to come and talk about this faith that we all have here and why we're all worshipping? And it might be for the first time you want to have that discussion. That'd be amazing. I'd love to talk to you. love to pray for you. For the majority in the room, it will be like, have you received it today? Have you let the river run to you today, into you to fill you in your innermost being this week, this month? Does it feel fresh, the grace of God given to you, given to you, washing over you? But also there's this question, is, is it flowing through you? Does it pass on? Does the river stop at you? The grace that has been apportioned to you and given out to you, does it flow on from you? That is the flow that we see in Ephesians chapter 3. I, Paul, for the sake of, I have received this grace. I am now an administrator, an oikonomia, a steward of it. That is a position each of us hold here. And you don't, you're not qualified for it. He qualifies you for that. To hold the post of a steward of the grace of God. It's a complete privilege to do so. So firstly, this sense of purpose that Paul has that comes from his identity. I am this person and I'm living for Christ in this way. An amazing clarity. Second thing is that he, is, he understands and he calls them to be stewards of God's grace. And thirdly, it is for who? Uh, as we get into verse 6 here, uh, this mystery, so you, again, you see the word mystery. So in verse 3, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation. Verse 4, the mystery of Christ. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. One new humanity. This is, and I don't have time to do all the contextual stuff that I love to do, uh, because I would have done that more last week in in chapter 2. But just to build on it very briefly, um, he's saying here that the Gentiles, remember this is to Ephesus, this is modern-day Turkey, this is Eastern Asia Minor, this is Gentile, non-Jewish territory. So this is a church of people coming to faith from a Gentile background. And he says that you Gentiles are heirs members of the same body, sharers in the promise. This is utterly mind-blowing. 
in those days to be told this. Completely mind-blowing. And this is building on chapter 2, where he says they now both have access, equal access to God, Jew and Gentile. Fellow citizens, they are called. They are called members of God's household. The goal of the radical Jewish elites at this particular time was to keep the Gentiles out. Out of the temple, out or away from the table. The temple had walls literally built up in it. I do not go past here. There was a sign that says, if you, cross, if you are Gentile and you cross this wall, this point, you will, uh, your payment will be death. You know that the Pharisees had all of these rules around cleansing rituals that they'd sort of put on steroids in order that anyone from a dirty background or anyone that was chaotic or anyone that was unclean, whatever, could not get near to the table. And remember, this is in a context where children who don't meet the mark are being cast aside outside of the city walls, right? I was telling you about this. In other words, those who don't meet the mark, they need to get outside of the city walls. We're going to keep it pure inside the walls. And yet here is Paul at the end of chapter 2 saying you're being built into a new temple. The temple was the meeting place where heaven met earth. That was where, and that is why they are so protective over it. And yet he says the new temple is not a building. It is you, the church, you, us. We are the new temple Jew and Gentile being built together around the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ to be the light of the world. A completely extraordinary, radical thing that those who've been rejected, those who are cast aside, those who are outside, unwanted, undesired, are now at the heart of God's plan for the salvation of the world. This is extraordinary news. It's extraordinary news for you and I today too. That however qualified we might feel we are, are or aren't perhaps, or all the things that we got wrong, it's basically both a comfort and a challenge, this reality of this one new humanity that we are a living, breathing reality of today. It's a comfort because we get welcomed in. You get welcomed in. In all of your mess-ups, in all of your blemishes, incompetencies, you get to play a part because it is in Christ that you are qualified and not through your own efforts. It's a comfort to us, but it's also a challenge to us. And it's a challenge to us because that is an easier truth to receive than to give and to live out. It is glorious news that's worthy of raising hands and celebrating together. I get to be a part of this strange family, this kingdom of God. Oh, I'm such a failure. I'm the least of these, but by grace given to me, I get to be a part of this. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. But the implication is also that we need to let that river run through us and on to others. And so those who aren't like us, who don't sound like us, look like us, smell like us, who don't think like us, and amazing that we've just been praying for the guys in the prison, those whose society says we don't want to be part of, regular part of society, it needs to flow from us to them too. It can't stay with us. It needs to flow from, uh, to us and through us. It is a comfort and a challenge to Comfort to be drawn in ourselves, but a challenge to draw others in too. To invite people around our table and into this community. To befriend those unlike us. To extend the kingdom of God and the grace that is given to us on to others. And finally, as we get towards that beautiful last bit. Uh, this prayer for the Ephesians from verse 14 onwards to 21. Uh, it's, just a, it's just this beautiful thing. 
where he says, I pray that out of, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He may dwell in your hearts through faith. We're going to have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God according to his power that is at work within us. He can do more than we can ask or imagine. These beautiful, glorious, if this was a speech, this would be the moment that everyone's getting up on their feet, you know, because it's such a climactic moment to the narrative. And, and remember, I'm talking about this whole letter, this whole purpose is going identity to behavior, identity to behavior. Do you know this to be true about yourself? Because everything you do externally flows from what is going on in you internally. Everything that you do in the world flows out of something that's going on internally for you. And so he's about to get to chapters four, five, and six, right? Where he starts to talk about instructions for Christian living and households and all this sort of stuff to do with like live like this. But before he gets there, you can almost feel him like rising to his feet. But before you do all that, can I just make sure you know that what you do in the world flows from what is going on in you? So have you grasped? Can I just say it again? Because I'm saying it all of the time, but can I just make sure you understand this? Have you grasped how wide and high and deep is the love of God? Have you grasped it? Because everything you do in your life externally will flow from what is going on internally for you. So he's saying, have you grasped this truth, but also are you filled? And so you see in the, in the text there, uh, it says, and I said it just now, but like power through his spirit. In verse 7, I know, working of his power. 18, may have power. That you'd be filled with his power. Verse 20, according to his power, that is at work within us. Again, repetition for the sake of impact. That word power there is dynamis. It is where we get our word dynamite from. Can I just check before we move forward that just as I heal this broken bone of identity, can you grasp how high and wide and deep is the love of God? But also, can I just check, are you being filled? Are you being strengthened in your inner being for the task that lies ahead? Are you being filled with dynamite, the power of God at work in your life? Because it is in that power you will be able to be the church in the world, being this one new humanity. Drawing people into the love and life of God. Have you grasped how high, wide, deep is the love of God? But are you being strengthened to with dynamic power? We all need to know that um, our outer lives are getting heavier every day. Either through things that are being added to our lives or things that are absent from our lives. Imagine your circle and that's your inner life, how you're doing, your inner soul. And then there's your outer life outside the circle, how you live in the world, in your work, in how you parent and how you're a friend, what you do with your money, whatever it might be. And that outer world is getting heavier by the week. And what I mean by that is every time something's added, that might be a new relationship, it might be a bigger budget at work, it might be more people to manage, it might be whatever else that's being added to your plate. Get, your inner world is bearing down heavier on your inner world. But also through absences, and this is often completely misunderstood, but the fact that you are waiting for something to happen is also an increasingly heavy weight on your life. Oh, this hasn't yet happened in my life. So you might be that you've, you've, you've um, had children, and, and you're three children, and that's a heavier weight on your inner world, but it might be that you haven't been able to have children. And that question 
is a heavier weight on your inner world. And I think Paul gets that living in the world takes a strong inner world to bear under the weight of those things. And so he's basically saying, have you, been, have you grasped grace? Have you let it flow to your deepest parts? And have you been filled with dynamis? The same power as we've heard already that's raised Christ from the grave lives in you. Because there's a big world out there and a life to be lived and a kingdom to be grown and a community, the church, to be built. He gets that before we do any of that, our inner world has to be alive and well and filled and whole. So as we come into land, can I invite you to to stand and um, I'd love to pray for those two things as we finish.